Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, happy August, and welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's August. August 1st. It's August. What's happening in August? Is there any cool things happening? I like August. So my father-in-law was born in August. My oh. mom was born in August. Oh, and wow. my marriage was born in August. Wow, so many births. Right? That's right. amazing. And your church is also going to be born, born in August. August. Wow. That's insane. That's insane. So cool. It's exciting to be August. Um, also, kids go back to school in August. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. We Just are, kidding. I like uh, my kids at home. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I like breaks too. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Every one of my kids is in school. Wow. Like the house is, is empty. It's going to yeah. feel like you're empty nesters. I know, right? Right? What are you and Amanda going to do with all that time? I don't know. I don't know. Mondays are like our, the world's our oyster on Mondays. You could do whatever you want. We could do. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, August. August is a, a good month and we are excited to be continuing to read the Bible though, right? I mean, there are some things that stay the same no matter what happens. The calendar changes. We're going to keep going with what we're doing. That's right. So make sure you've paid rent or uh, you've paid your mortgage <laughs> if that point. applies to you Schedule on August 1st. Right and uh, <laughs> aside from that, uh, we're going to keep going with what we're doing, which is yeah, to read the Bible. Are. So Psalm 65, 66, and 67 is what we're covering today. We psalm go. 65, we have in this Psalm, David just simply recounting the many reasons God is worthy of praise. It's a breath of fresh air a little bit here because we've been talking a lot about lamenting and things are bad and things are hard. And, and I think here he just kind of steps back and says, God, let me let me give you some thanks. Let me give you some props. Let me brag on my God. Right. Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> but he starts out with that. Praises do you. And he says, "When I love verse three. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house in the holiness of your temple. How awesome is that, right? The reason why we're going to be satisfied in the holiness of God's temple is because he atones for our transgressions, verse three. Amen. And so God is worthy of praise. He goes on, he says, you visit the earth and you water it. You, you have rain if you don't Passionate live in California. Um, you have the, the river of God is full of water. You water the furrows abundantly. God is, is just the object of David's praise and he's just pouring it out here, which is awesome. I, I just picture David, the songwriter, just grabbing his guitar and being like, all right, let me just write a song about how good God is. Right. And I, I liked verse seven because I thought immediately this, this is something that the disciples probably had access to. They probably knew this passage. Yeah. And so when Jesus is calming the raging seas, great point. I think they're probably thinking, this is, this is, this, this only can happen. God only does this. Right. Who is this man? I can imagine them just wigging out at what Jesus does here. And I don't blame them. I would have done the same thinking who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. It's God. Right. Oh, right. To be in their shoes. Speaking of which, I mean, when we go to Israel, right, we'll get to go out on the Sea of Galilee and see wow. where that all took place. Yeah. Where do we sign up for this? We, Israel we, trip. You keep I'm talking just about. Keep talking about it until until we go. Or until a like long time, man. somebody is like, hey, I want to support your church to go to Israel. The whole church. <laughs> okay. We just need somebody to step up. No, no. It's not very big right now. They could do that. They could do that, yeah. Psalm 66, we continue on. And here you have a, a psalm that doesn't have an author. Um, but uh, here you have the psalmist kind of overwhelmed with God's goodness. And he's just, he's calling on the earth. He's calling for universal worship of God. 
And uh, it's just a, an encouraging one again in Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Verse four, all the earth worships you. Come and see, verse five, come and see what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. So just a, a, another psalm calling for people. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, verse eight. Uh, and and that that's, should be our mindset as a church, right? We, we don't need to be bashful about praising God. We don't need to be bashful about wanting people to know our God. We need to be like the psalmist is here and calling for the earth to praise God. And the way we do that most effectively, church, is we get out and we evangelize. We tell other people about Jesus, um, which is super, super encouraging. One note here, theologically, look at verse 18 and 19. This is picked up by Peter even in the New Testament. But here the psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Mm -hmm. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Peter talks about that with husbands and says, look, husbands, if you're not living with your wives in a correct way, your prayers are going to be hindered. That's right. And so there's a sense, Christian, in which when you're harboring iniquity in your life and you're praying, uh, that there should be a, a... not a whole lot of confidence that, that God is going to listen to and answer those prayers for you uh, until you deal with the sin that you've got going on in your life. Would you consider that a practical effect of harboring sin or would that be more of a spiritual consequence? So is it because I feel far from God, I'm harboring sin in my heart and or I'm treating my wife in an ungodly way and therefore I don't want to pray? Or is it more uh, that God's going to withhold his favorable answers because I'm acting shady? I I. I think it's probably both but i think the the focus is at least here in the psalm it's a consequence if i had cherished iniquity in my heart you would not have listened right mm. uh, i i would i'd be praying but you wouldn't be listening um i think there's that discipline that hebrews discipline of god um, that he exerts on his children and part of that when we're harboring our sin in our lives and and we're going to the lord expecting him to respond to our prayers is we may not have that that response that we're looking for yeah, we need a clean conscience, don't we? Yeah, that's such an important factor in our in our walk with God because certainly no one's sinless. Right. It's not like right. It's not like David saying or whoever wrote the psalm. It's not like they're saying, "Hey, make sure you have no sin in your life." Totally. It's having a clean conscience before the Lord. Yep. Yep. Psalm sixty-seven is a prayer again. Here, it's a, a not named by anyone, but this is a, I love this one because it's a missional psalm. It's about the nations praising God. Right. That's right that we want your way to be known on earth. Verse two, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. Verse four, John Piper and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, and all the peoples praise you. And so this is why, and you've heard us say it a couple times that old Testament Israel was intended to be a missional nation. They were not a a people that was going to be just hiding out, not caring about people. God wanted them to be a light amongst the nations to call other people to praise and worship God as well. How much more so the church today? Totally. We have so much more light. We have so many more reasons to be to be missional, to be evangelical, as our name suggests. And therefore, let this be a motivator to you and to everyone else who's listening to this podcast that if you're a Christian, man, you have far more riches and wealth in Christ than what David or whoever wrote this psalm ever knew right. under the old covenant. Right. Right. And nobody has to be circumcised to join the church. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Right? Thank the Lord. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got plenty of time, which is what we said yesterday for Romans chapter two. Here so we go. Uh, here we go. Romans again. chapter two. Pastor Rod was commenting about how I started out with the first word of Romans chapter one. So in, in chapter two, you'll see the first word there is therefore. <laughs> and when we come to therefore, we need to ask the question, what's, what's the, the therefore, therefore therefore? Everybody said it in unison. Yeah, hopefully they did. Um, 
here in chapter two, you you have, again, Paul's indictment against humanity continuing, and he begins to identify different groups of people. And so I think in the first uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, 10, 11 verses, uh, you have the indictment of kind of the hypocritical self-righteous person here, uh, the person that is condemning the behavior of the ungodly and yet doing the same things or some of the same things, or they've got the same roots of their sinfulness in them. And it says this great line in verse four that I think is so good for us to remember that the the riches of the the kindness and forbearance and patience of God is meant to lead people to repentance. Um, His kindness, huh? His, his kindness. Not the fear of God. Right. Wow. And, and even just the, the, the idea that he doesn't smote us or smite us. Smitten? Smited? Smooten. Smoot. Smotes. Smoxen. He doesn't destroy us from the face of the planet as soon as we sin against him. Right. And, and he could and he'd be just and he'd be, he'd be right in that. But the greatest expression of his kindness and his patience and his forbearance is the cross. And he's been patient on uh, to us because he was wishing that we would be led to repentance in that. But verse five, the danger is when we have a hard and impenitent heart. Uh, impenitent means that we are, it's the opposite of repentant. We are not going to repent. We are, are, are closed off. We are storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That means we're adding more to it? This is the answer to the question, why do the evil people seem to be getting away with it? Mm. And in, in that sense, it's the answer to the question of, are, are, they, are they really getting away? And the answer is no. The, the wrath that God is going to pour out on those sins, because our sins are what are being punished in hell. It's not just anything that's, that's obscure or amorphic or anything else. It, it's specific sins that are being punished. And so our sins are storing up the wrath that we're going to suffer for all of eternity in hell that's going to be revealed on the day of judgment. We may not suffer, or an unbeliever may not suffer here on earth between the, the time that they're born and the time that they die. But once they die, if they die with a hard and impenitent heart, as Paul calls it here, they're going to suffer under the wrath of God. Yeah, it's a really important point. Help us understand verse seven. Uh, we understand that verse six says he's going to render to each one according to his works. So how does it make sense? This person seems to be a positive person in verse seven. So those who by patience and well-doing, sounds like a Christian perhaps, they seek for glory and honor and immortality. He's going to give them eternal life. In verse 10, you have the glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, verse seven sounds weird. It doesn't sound like anything else we read in the New Testament. How does this refer to the Christian? What does it unpack that for us a little bit? From from my understanding, it's it's the question becomes who's the object of the glory and the honor and the immortality there, right? I mean, the, the immortality is, is I guess, the, the individual's immortality. But the glory and honor, whose glory and honor are they seeking? Are they seeking their own mm. glory and honor or are they seeking the glory and honor of God? Yeah, that makes sense. And the way that we seek the glory and honor of God is through faith and repentance in Christ. And so the gospel is there. It's just a different way of, of couching it there because he's writing and indicting people that are seeking the glory and honor for themselves in, in contrast there. That's great. Chapter 2, verses 12 and following, he begins in the first uh, 12 through 16 to indict the guilt of the Gentiles or the guilt of those without the law. Um, those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And so there you have a, a, an interesting f- statement there. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? If, if we go, well, we'll get to Romans 5 and he's going to talk about those. Stay the in sin your like lane, Adam. buddy. Stay in your lane. <laughs> They're going to perish without the law, meaning the law, the, the, the Jewish law, the Old Testament law is not going to be the standard by which they're judged right. when they die. They so can't it's not be, the Mosaic law. Right. They can't be guilty of that which they were ignorant of in, okay. in the sense of the Mosaic law, right? Okay. But there's another guilt, and that's what he's going to get to. 
because he says in verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Read in parentheses, if that were possible, right? Mm. Because he's going to eventually get to, again, not to preach our legs out from under us, he's going to get to the fact that that's not possible. No one can be justified by the works of the law. But then in verse 14, he says what clarifies why Gentiles then are still guilty. Because he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, right? So they're di- they're not uh, accountable to the Mosaic law, In letter the of the way. law. Yeah. But when they do, by nature, what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. So don't lie, don't steal. They, they observe those laws, even not having the Mosaic law. Right. Because, verse 15, they show by that that the works of the law are written on their hearts while their conscience, this is the first introduction of the concept of the conscience, also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's a lot. So why is the Gentile who did not have the law still in hell if they die without faith and repentance in Christ because they had a law and it was the law of their conscience. It was the law that was written on their hearts. It was what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter one when he said what can be known about God is plain. He's made it evident. Part of that is the natural bent and inclination towards that which is good, Mm -hmm. right? And when we know guilt, when we know we've done something wrong, and and we can prove this, if you get parachuted into the middle of a tribe that's never seen anyone outside of their own tribe, and you walk up to the the chief and you kill his his wife, it's not going to go well for you. Mm. And he has no concept of our American judicial system. But there's a concept of what's right and what's wrong because God has written these things on our hearts. So those that die without the law are still held accountable, not to the Mosaic law, but to the law that God has written on their hearts that is testified to by their conscience. Book recommendation, if you're interested in a book that talks about uh, a tribe being reached with the gospel, is called Peace Child by Don Richardson. Mm. Excellent. Uh, And also, there's a bit of a twist in it as well, which I won't reveal. You don't have to get the book. Peace Child by Don Richardson. Well, he pivots then from the Gentiles to the Jews. Now, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God and know this will and, and approve what is excellent because you're instructed by the law. Now, he's, he's talking to them now. He said, what, what to them? He calls out their hypocrisy and he calls them out. He says in verse 22, You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Paul's point here is this. None of you perfectly obey the law. So look, even those of you that have the Mosaic law, even those of you that have been abiding by it, as as much as you've been trying to abide by it, nobody does it perfectly. And you dishonor God by every breaking of the law. Yikes. And that's why he turns to the, the concept of circumcision in verse 25. He says, circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. In other words, that act is, is valuable to you if you're going to keep the rest of the law too. But if, if you fail in another part of the law, then that act of circumcision, that's not doing you any good anymore because you have broken something else. And, and to break one part is to break the whole thing. Sounds like James. Right, exactly. So circumcision, you're boasting in that. Okay, that's a value to you only if you're going to obey the whole law. And this is even screaming, I think, is we're reading through this of, of Paul's own testimony in Philippians chapter 2 or Philippians chapter three, rather, when he's talking about who he was and and he appeals even to his own circumcision. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law, right? He says, as as to the law, he was blameless, that he was a Pharisee. So Paul's even writing, he's thinking about probably himself and his own testimony as he's laying all this out against the the Jews that would want to boast in their 
adherence to the law. Amen. Flip. Well, I flip my page because I use a paper Bible or scroll. Yeah, or scroll. scroll. Scroll down. Flip. Uh, as this chapter ends, it, Paul really gets to some of of the the glimpse of the good news here, uh, because he says in verse twenty eight, he says, "No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one." Inwardly, and, a, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Oh, Paul's beginning to pull back the curtain a little bit to get to where he's going to get in the next chapters here about what we really need, which is not the external conformity, but an internal transformation. So we're dispensationalists. Mm-hmm. We think that God has a plan for Israel. He's not done with them yet. But I could see someone who is a covenantalist perhaps saying, well, verse 29, look at this. A Jew is, is one inwardly. Uh, so, you know, the completion of the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant, was through a people who would be Jews not externally, but Jews internally, to be children of Abraham, so to speak. So how might we respond to that accusation, not accusation, that that, uh, that charge of your wrong assertion? is good, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I think Paul does, and in this same book, and again, we'll get there, but when he gets into to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he deals with Israel specifically in isolation from the church, mm. and he separates the two in his argumentation there, and he even says, hey, church, you've been grafted in, but but you're a, you're a wild branch. You're not the natural trunk there, and so I think there's multiple concepts in dispensational dispensationalism and covenant theology and we would probably put ourselves in the progressive dispensational camp and not the classic dispensational camp the that's classic a, that's a bad word progressive you guys are progressive yeah well the classic dispensational camp would say this there is a complete separation of israel and the church even into eternity that in eternity in the new heavens and new earth there's going to be a, a, a jewish name tag and a church name tag <laughs> beverly and, hills heaven Right. And then a different. Right, right. There's going to be these two people that have separate and distinct identities for all of eternity. Progressive dispensationalism says there's a future for Israel and there's a distinction, but that distinction becomes less evident and less apparent when God's full salvation, historical redemption plan meets its full end in the culmination of the new heavens and the new earth. And Mm. I think Paul speaks to that in Galatians, in Ephesians, especially in Ephesians with the the breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility where God has taken two people and now made them one man in Christ. So we would be progressive dispensationalists. There's still a future for Israel. The church is distinct. And Paul even speaks to that here in the end of Romans but we would also say, yeah, there is this grafting in, as Paul is going to talk about it eventually as well. Excellent. So we're still united. We're, we would still hold that dispensationalism would ring true in for a verse like this, because one verse alone is not how we would understand it. We'd have to look at the entire corpus of what we have in the book of Romans, uh, including verses or chapters, rather, 9 through 11. So key, uh, keep this verse in mind as we make our way there. In a few days, I'm sure we'll see that. We'll be able to talk a little more about that. For sure. Well, hey, we shaved some time off this episode. I'm I'm looking at the time and I'm in awe. I don't believe it. Yeah. So there you go. It's because I didn't parse out every word in the text. <laughs> Not this time. Wait for chapter three, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listening to this, we know this is, is a lot and this is like drinking from a fire hose in, in some ways, but, uh, but try to pick out one or two nuggets from here and hold on to them and, and maybe even talk about them with your families, with your friends, with your small group. Uh, community group and uh, tune in again tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast podcast. See you. Bye. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.